Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a new episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and here with me for this conversation is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hola. This week, we are blessed to do something a little bit unique and frankly, pretty special. Back when we had a Patreon going, we also created this little program called Premium Picks, where listeners could individually, or they could come together as a group and do this, purchase the right to have us cover a specific movie of their choosing. The details of that are still up on the website. If you're interested, you can take a look and feel free to do that. But this week, we are fulfilling one of these requests. So listener Audie Thacker chose to have us discuss the 2016 anime film, A Silent Voice. And Patrick, I'm super excited because I already loved the movie, uh, and I welcome this opportunity. So thank you, Audie. And above all else, we hope that you enjoy this one. With that said, please remember, this is your spoiler-filled podcast. We are going to go in depth in this film. There's lots of themes, lots of stuff to talk about, and you want to check it out. It's on Netflix, so it's actually an accessible anime film, which is crazy sometimes to think of. Like the, the America is actually starting to get access to these things on a regular basis. It's pretty awesome. Uh, this director also, uh, so it's female, and she has a pretty awesome anime series called K-On, I want to say. It's about a music group. And then she also did a really interesting, uh, another kind of romance anime film called Liz and the Blue Bird a couple of years ago. She is a rising talent for sure. So be sure to check out the rest of her work. But we're here to talk about Silent Voice. So there is, like I said, plenty of thematic stuff to dig into, and I'm sure we'll kind of take those things one by one and go all over the place once we start. But I wanted to get going, Patrick, by asking you, just kind of point blank, you know, did you enjoy this? Because I know when I first mentioned it, I think I said, oh, you'll like it. It's kind of like Shinkai. That's not really fair, because it's really not anything like Shinkai. Uh, the... Romantic relationships, the, the relationships between the characters, I think, can be comparative. And the art style and the modernness of the animes can be comparative. But there's no sci-fi weirdness going on here. And there's no overarching, you know, fantasy element. This is strictly high school coming of age kind of tale. And so anyway, I, I hope I didn't mess up and give you a, an incorrect perspective or expectation, I guess I should say. So, so what'd you think, man? Well, knowing that I wouldn't have to watch it twice is always a fun thing for me. So I knew that if it wasn't like Shinkai, I could watch it once and really get it. And that's not to diss on Shinkai. He's fantastic. And I think his movies are worthy of, of multiple viewings, as is this one. I really enjoyed it. So before we get into the spoilerific part of our show, I will say that this was really, really good. And it hits on two of the handful of things that I dig in movies. It's, you know, it takes place in high school. It's coming of age. Um, I was looking for montages, didn't see any that really stood out, but that's okay. Those two hit right where I wanted it to. And I really sat through this, just kind of, just kind of enjoying it for what it was. It's very simple, very kind of a precious movie is, is probably the word I could use to sum it up because it doesn't try to do too much. There are times when I felt incredibly empathetic for this small group of characters. You know, our, our big two, uh, Shoya and Shoko, I felt for them. It took some twists and turns that were kind of unconventional in the way that we're introduced to and get a narration from Shoya and we're following him. But it's not just his story. I mean, he's the overarching thing. It's also about the other characters that we get introduced to and how they're affected by him, how he is affected by them. And it's one of those movies that, because it's anime, I think it kind of has a double 
whammy attached to it in terms of its accessibility because it's also one that doesn't necessarily like wow you like you're not going oh my gosh you need to sit down and watch this but at the same time the message in it the messages in it really allow for the possibility to open people up to this genre in fact my wife was she came in about halfway through I was watching this and she's like what is this and I told her what it was what the premise was and she got into it for a little bit. I mean, she was distracted by some other things, but I think this is one of those movies that if you were to ask somebody, do you like movies about kids going through growing up? Do you like those coming of age stories? And you could promote this as being one of those films that if you want to get into the world of anime, it's accessible. It's not overly, I won't say Japanese. That doesn't sound right, but it it doesn't necessarily hint or go into like you have to really understand Japanese culture to understand this there are things in there that you're kind of like surprised about like eating eggs with chopsticks wow that's crazy uh, I don't know that I could ever do that like you but I, I was you, like how how is he and, and, and like taking a bite out like a piece of bread I just was I was shocked my, my 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 theory is that you can only do that with eggs that are either sunny side up or over medium you can't do it with over easy or scrambled or even fried you just you run the risk of hitting that, you know, breaking that yoke. So I think that my experience with this really sort of reminded me of why I enjoy film and why I fell in love with anime. It's because stories like this bring those two things together. Anime is such a niche genre. And four years ago, five years ago, I would have been like, mm-hmm. really, you're going to make me watch this? And now I, I fully embrace it. And so when you said, yeah, you're going to enjoy this, one, I trust you when you say, yeah, this is one of the movies you're going to enjoy. And two, it's it hits on those elements of storytelling that I really dig. And so I really don't care what the package is as long as it's executed really well. And in this case, you get this whole story wrapped up in beautifully animated, great dialogue. I listened to it with the English dub and this is something that I always want to do with, with animated movies is I want to hear, I want to know what my experience would be like watching this with the original dialogue and the subtitles to see if there's stuff that's lost in translation. At one point I turned the subtitles on and there were things that were said in English that were a kind of a a slightly different meaning than what's being subtitled for me. Lost in translation, literally. Lost in translation, right. And so it's a little bit meta because we're dealing with, someone who is deaf and trying to get over that communication breakdown, that communication gap. And I think this movie has a lot to say about really trying, finding ways to communicate that aren't limited to just one thing. So at some point I'm going to take a couple of hours and go back and watch it with the, uh, with the original Japanese to see kind of what, what I get from this to watch the visuals and read as opposed to, to listening to the dialogue. First of all, I, I love the, I love the English dub. I thought it was great. Yeah. But overall it's, it's a really great film. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. The dub is fantastic. And, and that's one thing that I, you know, people will probably out there be like, Oh, you're just a new anime fan because you know, every single fandom has a toxic element to it in 2021, where if you're not good enough to be a fan of a certain thing. Like you weren't there before, so you can't be possibly now. No, this is what Patrick and I love more than, I mean, we like plenty of older anime films as well and plenty of subtitle only anime films, but I love this stuff because you're right. It is accessible and it's easy. I'm sorry, but the reality of the situation is that you have to be even better to capture my attention and keep me distraction free. If you're subtitled, you just, you simply do. So to win me over, you're going to have more work cut out for you as a film. Whereas, and I may miss something and that sucks and it's on me, but it is what it is. It's reality. We're not trying, I'm not trying to say it's the perfect thing in life, but it is how it works. And so I love the opportunity to get to just enjoy it in English and know that if I had to look away because my puppy is tearing up a pillow or something, then I won't miss the dialogue because I still heard it, right? And and I love that. And and I think that the anime dubs ha- are, they're putting so much care into them now that they are just excellent. And, and like you, I want to go back and actually listen to them 
and watch things in its original form or in its non-dubbed. I guess it's not even in the original form if you want to, because it's it's kind of made at the same time. So it's it's intended to be this way. It's not like it's a second thought. This is how it was made. But I do want to hear it in a Japanese language as well, because you get some inflection and some excitement and various, you know, just different tones to the way the dialogue comes out that you may not necessarily get when the English language translation is there. But I only yeah. want to do that for the stuff that I really, really love. And you know, right. this is one one of those things. But yeah, you've got I mean, you've got our, you've already got an investment in it. And so you might as well just add to that by by adding that element to it. I would think one of the things that I'm seeing more of that I'd like to if I were to give my own personal like American input or non-Japanese input is I'd love to see a little bit more creativity taken with some of the visual translations. So when you see a sign at a train station, much like you would have somebody like Guy Ritchie doing fun subtitle treatment when it comes to foreign languages in his his big films, uh, using a different font or putting a sense of onomatopoeia onto it. I'd like to see something a little bit more creative done when you see a you know a sign for a you know a note that's being written or a text that was probably the one visual criticism i had is i could not read the dialogue i could not read the lines quick quick enough Mm -hmm. and if there's a way to kind of add to the art to kind of give me a little bit more time to read it but also make it feel like it's not a subtitle i think that would really add to the creative element of the movie didn't take anything away it just it was something that I did feel was a little bit distracting because I, I wanted to make sure that I caught everything. And so if I've got somebody talking in English and then they show something in the form of like a note or an email or a text, it's really quick. Shinkai does a really good job of that in his movies where he gives you enough time to read the translation of a text message or a, a train station sign. The beats are there, and I think that that's probably something that I would say I want more of. Just give me more time to read, honestly. And if you can, make it a little bit more creative. That's a really good point because I guess kind of contrary to what I was saying about how they're made at the same time, they're produced at the same time. But if you're not thinking intentionally about that being a thing, then you might not put that extra beat into the story to give the translation viewers a better opportunity to read that. Whereas you're just naturally editing your story as if it was just all for spoken dialogue only or whatever. And so, I yeah, I totally, that makes a good sense, actually. Since you brought up the visuals, I, we'll just start with that then. Because personally, I love the look of this anime. It, it is gorgeous. And it's not gorgeous in the Shinkai way because we're not talking about, well, there are, I was going to say there's not fireworks. There are fireworks. Um, but... Not, you know, huge production of fireworks that you typically think of with a Shinkai film. And there's not these sci-fi glorious big moments with, you know, comets or in space or rockets taking off or anything like that. And it's just, he's, he's very much more a striking and vibrant color director. This is so much more like a watercolory pastels. And, and I enjoyed that. I liked that a lot. It allowed the nature to really pop, I think, when it came to the animation. So flowers stuck out, you know, the koi fish in the pond stuck out. And then my favorite thing, and the thing that I feel like is really kind of an iconic or definable piece of visual language for this film is comes from the manga. So I'll acknowledge it's not like they just made it up but is the way that they use X's on the face. And I think it's just brilliant throughout the movie to it's not explained. And that's, that's what I I like that, you know, like they don't sit there and, and have a character be like, yeah, I see X's when I can't connect with people. You pick it up through the story that what is happening is that Shoko, Shoko, right? Shoya. Shoya. (laughs) see you know they're so close i really dislike that by the way i wish that we our names would not be this close together (laughs) because it's really becomes harder to to separate them right but yeah um shoya is unable to 
uh, you know, connect with these people and see these people and he feels shame around them or whatever different emotions that are not allowing him to be open uh, and friendly with these different people. And so you pick it up within the story itself. And it just, I think it's such a great way to immediately show the viewer his state of mind with regard to this other character. And it, and it becomes an incredibly powerful and like emotional moment in the end when you get to see that final scene of all those X's falling off to the ground and, uh, you know, him spinning around and really just ultimately having his moment of calm and peace and, and acceptance for who he is. And so I, I just personally really love those X's. That was something that was new to me. I had never experienced that before because I don't ring, I don't read manga. So that kind of element really stood out. And that was one of the points when my wife walked in and she said, why do they have X's on their face? Faces. That's yeah, of course. And it's weird, right? Yeah. You're walking in and you're like, this is just crazy. And it gave me a chance to really kind of work to say, well, this is what's happening. He's experienced this. He has this isolation that he feels. And this is the way that he interprets the world. He interprets different people. And so it makes those moments where the X's fall off like light pieces of paper. So just, I won't say monumental, but more about just important in those types of things when he meets his best friend who I think is just fantastic by the way and I I think that having that in here is a you know it's a bold move because it's not something that you would normally see in any movie or any animated movie from the states you know everything that I say I'm obviously speaking from a, a U.S. point of view so just know that if you're listening from across the pond <laughs> that when I see that it's something that I have to be able to wrap my head around, but I also know that there's intent with it. It's not just there to be fun. It's not just there to be interesting, that it really does have meaning. And the movie itself is just filled with a lot of different meaning that I know we'll get into here in a little bit. But speaking of the art, something that I've really enjoyed, Aaron, especially in the more, I would say, the the anime that takes place in the, in, you know, the more recent last 20 years, not that's been made in the last 20 years, but the settings, like like Garden of Words, I think being an example, we get a chance to really feel Japanese culture, modern Japanese culture. And something that stood out to me, and it's something just very little, it's when Shoya's on the, on the train, which we see a lot of trains in these movies. That's very much a Japanese thing. It's that kind of transportation. But we see the arm holders just kind of swaying back and forth. And you can feel the rocking of the train. And I was just reminded watching this of how much I appreciate getting a window into the world of Japan, modern Japan, getting a window into the world of Tokyo. I think um, Shinkai's latest showed us that there was a whole song written for, for Tokyo. I mean, he, he centered around this big city. And as someone who's never been there, I feel like I get little bits and pieces of Japanese, modern Japanese culture that are not trying to teach me about something specifically they're just letting me see it's almost like i'm 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 at a zoo not that the japanese are in a zoo but i'm i'm walking through this kind of museum or i'm walking through and i'm just observing and i'm just seeing okay that's cool you're eating eggs with chopsticks that's interesting is that normal is that something that happens all the time maybe it is maybe it's not i would assume it is but the way in which the modern like ordinary stuff gets shown feels very extraordinary to me because it reminds me how ethnocentric I can be as an American, how everything is going to be compared to something that I'm familiar with. And so watching anime and watching these modern day stories play out, even if they have an element of supernaturalness to them, it's really cool to see that interpretation in animated form because it's if we're actually getting to take that glimpse and it's just sort of subtle. I mean, I don't think the director put that scene with the eggs in there just to make us laugh. <laughs> I think it was like, this is how, this is what I knew breakfast was like. This is, this is how it was. And it ties into some of the, the sound editing. I always love the sound editing in these movies because you have to be able to be very precise with sound effects when you're in individual environments. If you're taking plates from the kitchen table, you're going to hear the clinks and the, and the cups and all those things. And then when you're on the train, you're going to hear the ambient noise of things rattling and 
little dialogue here and there. All of those things are so subtle, and I think they're accentuated by the animation. And I, I, I think it's a very holistic approach that these creators take because they want to make sure that everything is done delicately and intricately and intentionally so that every frame matters, right? Because we're talking about in the modern film world, when you're doing live action, you're talking about getting that perfect shot. And you're really just talking about not only maybe one shot, but really a series of shots that lead to a scene or maybe a pan or a zoom or a, a track of some kind. Animation, especially this kind of animation, it really is all about the shot, all about the frame. And I think that the animation itself, while not necessarily vibrant like Shinkai, it has its own personality. And it's really fantastic to look at because I think it speaks to the overall stuff that's going on. I mean, there were blues and grays in periods where we're dealing with some depression. Uh, the brightness oh, yeah. of, of, the, of the theme park when there is a possible moment of redemption for, for Shoyo. And it, it really does make sense how the scenes are laid out and how they're colored and how they're painted. And I think this speaks to what good, what I would consider really good anime. It's when you add all those elements together and you make a complete picture that's not just images, but it's sound, it's dialogue, it's ambience, it's all those things that go into it. And that's what I think makes a great animated film, personally. That's why I really, really love the Lion King because I think it touches on all those things in a way that other animated films don't quite do. But anime in, uh, in particular is great because again, it adds that accessibility to a wider audience that may not be used to that particular style. Those other things I think help bring people in who may or may not be interested in saying, do I really want to sit through two hours of Japanese animation? Yeah, you do because there's more to it than just quote, Japanese animation. And by the way, that Japanese animation is pretty killer. It's gorgeous. And also The Who. So that helps when you add The Who to your movie. That's just going to give you bonus points right there. I feel like it's <laughs> such an American like nod to be like, hey guys, we're going to start this with, uh, I mean, and it's fitting. It's perfect. Generationally speaking, that era kind of fits with, you know, Shoya's attitude a bit. So I love it. I thought, I think it's awesome. I think for me, it really does get me into the movie. It, it, it's a very surprising thing to hear. And you're like, all right, I'm rocking. I'm like, this is American old school. Or like, well, I guess it's not American. Is it the who is, are they British? I think British. British actually. Yeah, British. So but, the modern <laughs> rock and roll. Yeah. The, the rock and roll we grew up with in the sixties and seventies. Colonizing right? Britain. Can I do that? <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> Go for it. We don't really care about Britain. So yeah. <laughs> We just take everything we want from you. Um, anyway, point is, I, I do like that. And I love the score as well. So we'll get into the stuff, the actual movie and the topics. But did you have an issue with the length? And I ask this because this is a melodrama. Like it is a melodrama in the full sense of what a melodrama is. It is slow. Like it doesn't pick up the pace and just bounce along from plot point to plot point to plot point. I think maybe I'll use this to talk a little bit about the friendship aspect, but it, it slows down and it really takes its time going through the diff once we get to high school. So film opens obviously with Shoya meeting Shoko and they're in elementary school. And this is when the initial bullying takes place and she ends up getting you know, removed from the school due to his actions and, and the actions of his classmates, let's be fair. And then this is what he is like been living with the shame and, and caring with him. And it's what's causing him to contemplate killing himself, which I mean, this is, this is a heavy topic, by the way, this whole movie is freaking heavy. It's not like it, it looks gorgeous and lighthearted and pastel and beautiful. But that's also part of the kind of amazingness of it to me is that it's really dealing with serious stuff. And so, and I think that's part of why I like that it takes its time. We get to meet all these characters. Like you said, like the best friend, uh, Tomohiro, who is an absolute joy. We get to meet Shoko's sister, uh, Naoko. No, that's the classmate. See, I always, uh, Yuzuro. 
who is just an absolute yeah, hoot. Like she's so <laughs> I I'm she I have it up on my screen. Um, and yeah, it, I just I think that by going through and spending time with more of the character side characters and the relationships including the classmates, the various classmates, some of the relationships, they have to be mended. I, th I think it makes it more realistic, man. And somebody actually told me, they were like, listen, that's taking from the manga because, you know, it does a lot, even more of that. And I, I think it is better for that. I think if you tried to make this a little bit shorter and snappier, it would lose something because it would just be about Shoko and Shoya. And that would be the primary plot right is him finding redemption for his actions against her but because it doesn't do that it it is realistic and it, it takes into account all these different things and it means so much more to me in the end when he achieves this new state of being this this peacefulness about him and he realizes like there's all these people. It's not just a love story where it's like, oh, I got my girl and I'm going to hug and it's the end of the story now because I fell in love with this one person. No, it's I my eyes were open to all of these people and this whole world of human beings that I'm now able to connect with. And so you have to go slow and you have to take your time with that stuff. And I, I didn't mind it, but I could see and I, I read letterbox reviews. So I did see people who would frequently make mention of that being a problem for them. Well, with the subject matter being what it was, and when I saw the length, I was a little taken aback because I was expecting maybe an hour and a half because most animated films, English or Japanese or whatever, are typically around the hour and a half mark. But then as I was getting into it, I realized, okay, so this is what we're dealing with. And I essentially agree with everything you're saying. If we centered around Shoya and Shoko, this would probably be about an hour's worth of story. But I think the point of the film, one of the points of the film, was to emphasize the fact that the decisions that you make as an individual affect so many others, for better or for worse. And trying to heal that, trying to recover from that, trying to move on, trying to reconcile whatever the word you want to use takes time and so i think the length of the film kind of gave you a sense of what it would be like to kind of get through that i think good films have great stories i think great films have great stories that don't necessarily reconcile that kind of end in a messy way that allow you to sit around a coffee table and say what did you think about this character's decision was he right was he wrong how does he move forward from here. I mean, even the ending was a little bit ambiguous. It had some hope, but it didn't leave us going, okay, I guess things are okay. Because they're not. And more than anything, I think the movie itself put a posture of even when things start to feel like they're getting better, it will be an ever-growing process, an ever-moving process of always getting better. Because there will always be scars grief is always going to be there when we lose a loved one or when we have a breakup or when something traumatic happens to us, those scars don't go away. I have a scar on my leg from my running accident a few years ago. That's a reminder to me that I'm a very fragile person and that I am not invincible, that I have to be able to think about the fact that I have a family and I can't just go running without <laughs> things that are reflective or without a cell phone. But it also reminds me, Aaron, that even though I've healed from that, it's a reminder that I have mortality and that I have things in the past that shape who I am now. I mean, my whole experience with that did a major shape shifting on how I viewed my faith, how I viewed the world, how I viewed my relationships. What would have happened had that accident not have taken place? Would I be here? Would I be there? I don't know. But the fact is, I think when you deal with the length of a movie like this, it's justifiable because there's so much there that is explored. And the fact that we get beyond just Shoya and Shoko's relationship, but also Shoya and his high school friends that he's coming to grips with and his past friends that he's trying to reconcile with and wonder, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. It's it's movies like this and links 
like this that that need to be because of the fact that they do take time. And I think that's probably something that's going to have to be made convincing like through friendships and through relationships where you're trying to promote a movie like this because you got to say yes, it's an animated film. I know we're used to shorter time frames, but it deals with some pretty heavy stuff. Give it a try. And I think once people get to that, once people get after that first those first two scenes where we see the guy trying to kill himself, I'm like, whoa, all right. So just like we get the who, we also get the what, you know, that kind of thing. It's just all kinds of, all right, this is the movie that we're in. Hold on to your butts. We're going to experience something pretty interesting. At no point did I feel like I needed to hit the pause button and find out how much time was left. Like I was really engrossed. Perfect in way to put it. Yeah, perfect. Way it's, to put it. And I think, again, if you're in a movie theater watching this, you're not you're not doing that either. But I think the film itself does a lot to help keep you engaged by even if it's not fast, you are moving from relationship to relationship, time to time, event to event. And finally, you get to that one just crescendo of an ending that kind of leaves you going, what's next? And I don't want a sequel. I'm not saying that, but I think it leaves you going, oh man, that leaves me asking some good questions and kind of wondering about some things. I'd love to be able to podcast on it, which, hey, here we are podcasting on it. <laughs> Thank you, Audie. Well, there's several major kind of things going on in the film, in my opinion, and I wanted to throw them out there and see which thing of these or if something else, what did you connect with the most? So. <laughs> Think of it as almost like a connecting point, but for a theme. So the bullying is a major aspect of this film, right? At the beginning, this is, the whole basis of this is the bullying that takes place between Shoya and Shoko. And again, as I mentioned, his classmates as well, because I think that that's an important plot point throughout the film is that they don't want to take responsibility for their roles in this. Several of his classmates do not, but he is trying to reconcile and own up to his actions. Then we also have the mental health aspect, the fact that he is planning, literally planning and doing a dry run of his own suicide. My goodness gracious. Um, if this was not an anime film, I, I can't even like watching that in real life. And then the tonal shift, I don't know if it would work as well, honestly, uh, but it works because it's an animated movie. And then the friendships, just the relationships aspect, I think, of the whole thing with you know, finding his best friend and, and coming to slowly open himself up and make these different connections with people. And then you have the ultimate conclusion and kind of goal of his is he's he's seeking a reconciliation and redemption of, of kinds. Like that's what he's looking for, even before he's able to put a name to it and understand what he's what he needs. That's what he needs. Uh, did anything like really just hammer you home or was it just the whole jambalaya aspect of all of those things together mm, jambalaya i could go for some of that right now <laughs> <laughs> all of those things were great but what really stood out to me was the the concept of reconciliation and redemption you hinted at it earlier that this could have been a movie about someone essentially doing a dramatic version of an apology and then getting together and becoming boyfriend girlfriend they live happily ever after and the romance is there we mentioned earlier that this was not just Shoya's story. It was also Shoko's. But watching this from his perspective, we really got to see the fallout of what it was like to regret being a bully. Oftentimes what we see is the victim's point of view and potentially changing the heart of the bully. Maybe not. But we never get to see the bully's journey. And to walk through how he not only is sort of living with this guilt, almost like this penance that he doesn't want to give up. I mean, there's a lot of spiritual overtones to this that you could probably go into. But the fact that he has sort of put himself in a position where he's accepted the fact that he's just the worst. He's no good. The fact that he has to rehearse his suicide and even fails at that because his mom finds out about it and just goes off on him. All these things sort of fall on him as a means of like, yep, I'm a failure at everything. I can't do anything right. And I don't know if it necessarily 
he necessarily recognizes that the bullying incident was the trigger point, but I think he sees it as a signpost of, wow, I'm actually affecting somebody else in what I do. And so his journey to reconcile with Shoko and its echo with other people, how they respond to him, I think is pretty fantastic. And one of the things I really loved about this story was the fact that, and I think this is where it got its length, is that we see him reconcile with her, but he also tries to unintentionally or indirectly reconcile with some of his other elementary school people who actually thought he was kind of cool for bullying, you know, that he was kind of a ringleader, but they don't change. They have not changed. In fact, at the end of the movie, what's her face? I can't remember her name. She really doesn't change. She's still mean. She's still a B, you know, and she literally says, I hate you. And yeah, she's exactly. like, at the very end, she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to let this go, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like move on, but yeah. I still hate you. And it's like, holy cow. Yeah. So, so endings like that really remind us that reconciliation is and can be one-sided. You can reconcile with yourself. And this is where I think I really latched on to Shoya as a character is that the ability to forgive yourself, the ability to be forgiven and be content with that and offer that forgiveness to somebody else is the power that we have. The ability to say, I am sorry, what I did was wrong and I want to make this right. At the end of that, we cannot make somebody else and be responsible for their reaction. And that's the beauty of this film is that not everybody said, okay, cool, we're all friends again. Nope. She stayed the same way, but then there's Shoko, who I think becomes a catalyst for his journey more than anything else. I don't think she's the object of his journey. I think she serves as a catalyst of that journey of reconciliation. And one of the most beautiful moments is when we get that moment where it's revealed that he bullied her in elementary school. So he's got this new kind of personality. He's getting to know folks. We had that semi-wonderful moment at the theme park and then it all comes out that he bullied this girl and now he wants to push everybody away he wants to put x's on all of his new friends because he doesn't want to even recognize the fact that maybe they'll see him differently maybe it's easier just to put them in a box who could put him in a box and say yep you're a bully you're just like that but instead his best friend says look i'm gonna leave you I know you got some stuff to work out, but man, I'm here for you. And I love that moment because it's not as if they're saying, you know, it's cool. It was in the past. It's in the past. They might be saying that, but they're also saying, Aaron, it doesn't matter because who you are now is who we love and your scars are part of who you are. And if that made you get to this point, then absolutely you are a better person. And I mean, all this is being said by me, not by the director, by the dialogue, but this is how I'm interpreting that. And to me, that's real reconciliation. It's real redemption because it's not like he's getting back to the place where he was. He's pushing through this dark place to a place where he's now someone new. He's now someone who is not just a, an anti-bullier, but someone who really does want to affect the lives of the people around him in a way that is life-changing and and it's really really beautiful yeah i just want to point out too i mean i agree and one of my favorite things about the story is that it's not overnight success it's not one it's not one big life-changing moment so in typical stories we have this happen where the i forget what the word for it is but there's like a, a moment in time and apex event or whatever the heck it's called but like a thing happens right and it totally changes your way of thinking and you're you become you're very distinctly this person and now you're different right that it doesn't take place here what we see is again something that is much more in my opinion akin to reality where it ain't easy and it takes work and it takes work and failure and it's hard and it's going to suck and you're going to second guess yourself and you're going to dang sure need community and you're going to need people who believe in you to help. And you're going to have to get to the point where you go through all of this process and you don't trust them and you 
You aren't their friend, even though they're your friend, and you have to get to the point where you're willing to listen to them. Shogya goes through all of that stuff. Like, he starts with a seed of desire, and he starts by trying to do small acts of kindness and shows a genuine interest in making amends for his past actions. It starts with a very simple desire, and it backfires on him. It goes horribly, like the first time he tries. And it continues to not be perfect throughout. He'll take a step forward, and then he'll take a step back. Something will go wrong. And that happens all throughout up until the end. And I, and I just, I, it's so important to me. Like, it's so important to me that it's told that way because it shows us that you've got to really believe it and buy in for the long haul. And you really need all of these things. That's why I love that friendship and the slowdown, like I was talking about with the pacing, because without those people and the relationships that he develops with them along the way, he doesn't ever get there the way he needs to get there. Right. And what he also doesn't see until the end of the movie. And a lot of times we don't even see necessarily as an audience until the end of the movie is we see his efforts and how those all relationships are two ways. You may think it's a one way relationship, Patrick. Like if I, if you and me, if I'm going through some stuff, right. And so I'm sending you voxes all the time and giving you these lengthy messages about what what i'm feeling and i need mm -hmm. your advice or i need you to listen it may feel to that person like it's one way but there is something that that's doing to you i have no idea what that is necessarily mm -hmm. something i said could completely resonate with you and you could like i posted something online this weekend that was incredibly vulnerable for me and i was shocked at the amount of comforting responses i got back people going dude i have felt this way about my own faith or my own church life for a long time. And mm -hmm. basically I'm scared to say this and I feel better knowing that you feel this way. So my point is those relationships that are helping and changing Shoya are also changing and bettering the other person as well. And so what we yeah. end up with is we end up with this whole group of people who has grown together and they've become a better community of friends and family that, can go forth and, you know, make better choices essentially. But, they, you know, it's not like they all need to make better choices. It's not like they all made bad ones. It's just they now have each other to call back, fall back on and rely on. And that intricacy is something I, I just don't see that hardly ever that kind of detail in stories, I don't think. Well, and tangentially, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was watching it, the need to have real people in your life. I think the last year and a half has taught us that it's okay to go back into our closets and swipe our friendships left and right <laughs> and to post things. And, and this is not a, is not a dig a, at my background. No, oh. not, no. <laughs> He's looking at my closet folks. No, so no. I, <laughs> I made that dig early. I don't need to make it again. Um, no. And, and I wasn't trying to dig it at your, at your social media post either, but there's something about connecting with people like real people and having honest to goodness, vulnerable conversation, not being talked at from some influencer that's telling you what to think or how to feel or whatever, which I'm equally in that boat, but to really have significant relationships, the three to four people in your life that you say, I am struggling with this. And you know, they're not going to say, well, here's your problem. <laughs> they're going to say, tell me how it's going. I want to understand a little bit more. Tell me your story. And at the same time, they're not just giving you the me too, which I think is incredibly valuable. They're giving you that connection, but they're also those people. And we see this in a silent voice. We see them say, now what? Because it's really easy to either look through stories and never have a conversation with anybody. It's a little bit less easier to post vulnerable thoughts and get those 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 conversations back and engage in those conversations. But I think the most vulnerable a person can be is when they take that one step further and say, hey, can we talk about this on the phone? I'd love to just follow up and hear what you have to say. And then you start creating a dialogue. And I say in general, when we see these relationships sort of get depicted in this movie, I think if it was one-sided and Shoya was just feeding off of the grace and the camaraderie of his friends 
we wouldn't care about him nearly as much. But what you said matters. The difference that he makes in their lives, the change that happened in them because of their relationship with him, those tangible relationships, however they look, I mean, they could be online relationships, they could be face-to-face relationships, but as long as they're relationships, to me, that's the important thing. And to me, that's that's kind of what I've been walking through lately is, man, I want to make sure that the people in my life, the real people in my life, not the people that I just see floating through Twitter, but the people that I can have regular conversations with, I want to make sure that I have those, that I'm talking to my 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 family, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to my my folks in my, my church community, I'm talking and I'm I'm having daily conversation that is about a plethora of different things because there has to be more to our world than just the things that we are burdened with. And, you know, watching one of the most beautiful moments in this movie was the theme park and this monologue that Shoya was having with himself. He said, could this be, can I really let my guard down? Could, could I really be this happy? And I think a lot of people are going through life right now, and I have too, of, am, can I really let my guard down? Can I really kind of open up my window and let the world come in and really deal with the good and the bad? Because there is good out there. There is hope. There is all this stuff that can actually be pretty positive. And I think this is a movie that gives us permission to feel that way, to feel not only that apprehension that is normal from any person, but also the willingness to open up and say, all right, real joy is going to come from real community with real people and having real conversation. And I think by the end of the film, that message is coming in loud and clear for me at least. And it's just a reminder to me that I can't isolate. I can't put myself in a bubble where I know it's safe. And I, instead I say, Hey, Let's have coffee. I want to talk about some of the things that are going on in my world, good and bad. And maybe that leads to some vulnerability. Maybe that vulnerability leads to a a now what moment. Um, But I think that having that starting point is incredibly important. And and this movie kind of walks you through that process in an interesting way. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there 100% with you, man. I I love it. And I think that's the, the key point of this. I think we can talk about bullying, we can talk about mental health and suicide, and I think those are the plot drivers for the story, but that's not what it's about. The key takeaways in those areas for me are, one, it's really hard to watch somebody be bullied, period, whether it's in real life or whether it's in a live-action movie or whether it's in an animated story. It doesn't matter. It's hard, and it doesn't matter what age they are. You know inherently in your like your DNA that it's wrong to rip someone's hearing aid out of their head eight times and throw it out the window and to the trash. Like you may not know how much it costs, but you knew it was hurting that person. My gosh, her ear bleeds at one point. Like he knew what he was doing, but what it does go to show, I think show (laughs) you what it does go to show you is that was awesome. I got no reaction for that pun. None. I hope you're frozen. And you're just choosing not to react to that amazing pun. I'll say it again. What it goes to show you. Okay, shaking his head. There, he's. There, your courtesy of, laugh for the evening. That was awful. Like you were so. Anyway, uh, my point is, what it <laughs> goes to show you. What it goes to show is <laughs> that. Oh yeah. <laughs> thank you. What it goes <laughs> to show you is that. You know there is an aspect of groupthink to bullying where. Once it's happening, it's easy for people to pile on and it can be hard to pull away and pull out of that and be the person that says, no, this isn't okay. And it can be like anything else in your life, something that becomes an identity for you. And when we're forming identities in our school age, coming of age movies, you're forming an identity and that's what it became. Right. And so when you're known as that and you're getting praised by people for continuing this behavior, then why wouldn't he continue that behavior unless somebody steps in with an intervention and stops it? And so, I don't know. It was just, for me, it's, I think it's important to use those moments in any movie that we watch. If we're watching it with our kids, 
younger age kids, especially, but you know, it could be any, anybody just always is a good reminder or for us in our adult lives, in our workplaces, like bullying can happen in so many ways that are not physical pushing or demeaning in a public place. You know what I mean? Like it goes so far beyond that. It's something we should always be on the outlook for. And hopefully we should always be champions of right and step in and stop it, you know? And so that is just how I, what I take away from it. And then the suicide aspect of this, I'm so glad that it's the driver at the beginning and it tells us what's going on in his head. And we have what I consider to be really important and an impactful moment with his mom where she has essentially discovered what is happening and she is freaking out about it. And watching her in that scene is tough because I can't even fathom it, man. Like I, I was imagining myself, what would I do if I found out my son or daughter had been saving up their money and they were literally counting down days on a calendar? Uh, how would I handle that? I don't think I could handle it nearly as composed as she does even. But that was strong for me. Um, because and it was a moment where someone is able to luckily, thankfully, be able to say, listen, no, I don't want you to do this. I want you in this world. And I'm glad that it doesn't like I, I didn't I didn't need a whole movie of him wallowing in I'm going to kill myself every day. You know what I mean? That would not have been fun <laughs> or an enjoyable story to go through. And and I don't think that that would contribute to him making progress towards bettering himself so it wouldn't have made sense anyway but this goes there's other, another point where at the end of the movie you know shoko is thinking about it as well because they're what it goes to show you is how especially when you're in your formative years those feelings of responsibility for hurting another person deeply or maybe changing their life in a way that you feel you're assuming you're presuming is like this major thing they can never recover from and wanting to take that punishment onto yourself and and internalize it to the point of i don't deserve to be here and and so we get to see characters wrestle with that and ultimately come out on the other side wonderfully thankfully but i so i love the way it's handled here it's very nuanced and i think it's very respectful. I think I think respectful is probably the best way to handle this. And as you've mentioned, and we mentioned several times, this is a hard topic to discuss or to portray in any environment. And I think anime or animation gives a little bit more liberalness to portraying these things. In the last probably 20 or 30 years, I've seen more maturity happen when it comes to animation uh, with the rise of things like adult swim you know adult comedy things like that south park animation itself has become just another way of telling stories and i think the general population who didn't grow up with uh, with looney tunes tiny toon adventures animaniacs start to see that you can have adult themes in your in your stories that are animated. And I believe anime probably takes that and turns it up to 11 because when we see things like Shinkai or we see things like this or we watch something like um, Millennium Actress <laughs> or Paprika or things like that. I mean, these are... The, I haven't seen Millennium Actress. It's on my... I know. It's like the it's, one... It's probably my favorite of of his four. <laughs> of, <laughs> of I need to get Tushika. to it then. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, it's it's really good. I think it's probably my my favorite of his four. But you know, Shitoshi Kon, I think is a is a fantastic example of how to use animation to tell stories. And I think we need to get to that place when it comes to animation, where it is a style, where it's not limited to you can only tell stories this way. And I I mean I think we're past that. But I think it's important to show more of this and then to add that international flavor to it of saying, look what people are doing around the world. I'd love to see, you know, every year around the Oscars, we get a chance to watch the, uh, the animated shorts that come through the nominations. And I'm always, always impressed with the style, the tone, the 
just everything about them that tells us not that they're just coming from France or coming from Britain or coming from Japan or coming from here, but that they're coming from artists. And while there is a cultural flavor that you can attach to it, which I think is great, and that's what I love about Punch It. Animation, I think, allows you to experience things a little bit more, I'll say supernaturally, a little bit more exotically than you would in, let's say, a drama. So take a movie like Requiem for a Dream. That probably gets pretty close to what the experience of these characters are having is like on a bizarre scale. Anime, an animation that uses supernatural elements or pretty bizarre elements, really can capture an imaginative type of feeling. And so if this film wanted to go into that crazy, like, here's what it's like to be in Shoya's head. Here's what it's like to be inside Shoko's head. We get hints of that, but only as they support the overall film. This is not a, a film about mental illness. It's not a film about or, or about bullying. Yes, perfect way like, to put it. As you, as you said, these are tools that get us to those other two elements, which are about friendship, reconciliation, and redemption. And I think that's why the animation style works for this because it focuses on those things that are i would say normal but it's also not a film that's trying to get us deep into the head of these two main characters it gets us in there enough so that we can kind of understand and the, the x's i think are that supernatural element to it they're just bizarre enough that you're like what in the world's going on but if you haven't been living with these characters for the last 30 minutes or so you wouldn't know but they make sense because the because the story's been set up so well. Same thing with uh, with Shoko. Some of the moments we have with her signing versus talking versus writing things down. By the way, I think her name is pronounced Sayori Hay Hayami, and apparently she is a deaf actress who voiced the. Oh um, yes, that's correct. Or maybe I don't know if she if that was the English. It was the English. Voice. Was it the English one? Is that her? Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. whoever it was. Yeah, she is a deaf actress, and so that slurred voice that you hear is completely genuine. And I love that because it really does kind of make things feel a little weird. Like when you hear that voice, you're like, that's awkward. And then what do we get early on in the film? We get somebody making fun of her. Like, I can't understand you. You're talking weird. And then there's another one later on that vulnerability where she tells Shoya that she that loves, she loves him. him and he's like i don't know what she said the moon the what <laughs> the what's moon? going on what the heck man what is that how did you did you miss that i was literally yelling at the screen like bro no what are you doing you <laughs> <laughs> but it's even better because the scene later she is on her bed with her sister with her face in the pillow and this is such a teenage girl thing to do and when she tells him, you know, when she confesses that she told him that she loved him, you see her legs just kind of kick. And I'm like, that's what happens. That's that's an adolescent response to being embarrassed and doing something completely vulnerable that like, oh, my gosh, I can't take that back. Um, I felt that way. I haven't done the kicking, I don't think. But <laughs> I've been that vulnerable guy who's like, I cannot believe I just said that. Yeah, and, exactly. And so I think. Could you get that with live action? Sure. But there's a preciousness that comes with being able to see this in a cartoon form because there's an innocence, right? I mean, unless you're just setting something up like Akira, that's just like big, serious or Robotech or Transformers. There's a delicateness that comes with the way in which you style this. I want to, I want to agree completely because I think, and that is such a beautiful point you're making delicate and innocent two perfect words i think when it comes to live action i believe our cynicism naturally speaking with movies in general and what we are used to seeing would make it very difficult to watch scenes and treat these characters with that same perspective that we treat them with because they're animated i just don't think we would do it i think we would need to have some reason to 
doubt them. There would be some nihilisticness to our viewpoint just because that's how we see the world in, in we're so used to movies showing us that. And it would feel so weird. It would feel out of place in, we would think that they're only innocent to fuel someone's darkness elsewhere in the movie. Not just because they're all like that. You know what I mean? And so I, I think you're making beautiful points and another reason why this works so well as animation. Was there anything else you want to talk about uh, with the movie? Because I think I've kind of exhausted my main things that I had listed. No, I just wanted to make a couple of points. Uh, you mentioned the score earlier. I thought there were some great moments where the score really stood out. Not necessarily like a Rad Wimps type of like, every song's amazing, but the way in which um, I think there was a, a scene where there's a, a, a musical technique where you can almost make a a musical tone go backwards and I can't describe it in detail, but there were moments in the movie where I think the score just really elevated the scene for me. And, um, and I thought that was great. Also, I, I honestly, I dig, you know, if I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the title, a silent voice, I actually like the original Asian English title, which is the shape of voice. And you actually see that in the Netflix uh, edition, I like that descriptor a lot better because the shape of voice really hints at sign language, about using language, and I think it gets more at the heart of the overarching idea of what the movie is saying. So I think for me, it's always going to be called the shape of voice, even though it's officially in the U.S. called a silent, you know, a, a, a silent voice. Um, this one, this one makes uh, more sense to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I love seeing that pop up at the end as well in the credits. It's a it's a beautiful title. Um, we'll have to get you. I'm trying to think of what the other one is. That there's another film that's very similar to this one that I love as well. Oh, why can't I think of it? I'm gonna look it up while you're talking here in a second, um, so that I don't go clicking around it's for everybody to listen to that, and then I'll tell you. I'm going to real quickly, though, make a plug. So this was awesome. Thank you again, Audie, for giving us the opportunity to talk about this. I'll let Patrick tell everybody what's coming next week and why it's pretty awesome and great timing for us. One thing I would like to ask is we are fast approaching the September 1st application date for Rotten Tomatoes, and Kales and I really want to get approved. Primarily for our FF Plus episodes, I really don't know yet what would happen with our mainline episodes. Patrick and I might go back and give them some ratings. We did them for a long time and then we stopped. Or we might not. I'm not sure if that even matters. But for FF Plus movies, new movies coming out, it would be really, really helpful and awesome accomplishment for Kales and I to be able to get the podcast. Well, it, it serves all of us, but get the podcast listed on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, I mean, none of us love Rotten Tomatoes, frankly, um, but it is what we have. And it is an important form of showing a level of professional achievement and all we need guys is less than 14 because i know we've gotten some since i last asked ratings on the podcast on apple's platform that's less than 14 we need 200 total we meet all the other requirements and we have for years we just need these ratings and it's the only thing that they care about because they're dumb 200 so what we need you to do is go on to an apple podcast app in on an apple device it can be an ipad it can be an iphone anything you've got laying around use your apple account go to the podcast scroll to the bottom hit write review either just click five star rating and hit save or click five stars type something and then hit save whatever you want to do is fine you can write you don't have to write doesn't matter just the rating is what's important you could also alternatively download itunes or apple music or whatever the heck the program is called for your desktop computer these days and you could actually review the podcast that way on that on that program. That's it. Uh, if you have an Apple ecosystem, we're asking you to please reach out to your friends, family members in your house, people with accounts, your kids, your pets, your coworkers. I don't really care where they come from. Tell them you love us and that it's important and give us a couple extra ratings and we'll be there in no time. We love you. Thank you for enduring my big long ask and we appreciate it we know we're going to make it and we're really excited about this opportunity and we hope that we get in there this year well if you're listening to this that's the best thing that you can do for us alongside that and we're grateful that you're listening to this episode and hopefully the 
hundreds of others that we have out there. We always enjoy these conversations, and we especially enjoy it when you communicate with us what you think of these movies that we're reviewing. You can catch us in the Facebook group. We also have a Discord channel, so we're steadily just continuing to keep the conversation going with these movies that we really enjoy. So we really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, For our next episode, Aaron alluded to it. Coincidentally, we are actually covering another film in the deaf community, one of this year's favorites, CODA. So be sure to join us for that conversation as well. Aaron, thanks for the chat, my friend, and we will talk soon. The Anthem of the Heart. The Anthem of the Heart is the name of the other film that has a very similar vibe to this one, and I highly recommend everybody, including Patrick, find it and check it out. Note it. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.